Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Carter Avasa. Carter, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me, man. This is super cool. Yeah, of course. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, uh, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a, well, uh, one of the things that I do is run a conference for web developers called Cascadia JS. Um, this is a, a conference I started back in 2012. Uh, and we actually just wrapped up our most recent event, which was, uh, for obvious reasons, totally virtual. Uh, when I'm not running Cascadia JS, um, I'm the founder of uh, a little company called Fizzbuzz, uh, which uh, helps developers connect to do better professional opportunities. Um, and when I'm not doing either of those two things, um, I'm a husband and a father to awesome. 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 Yeah. So actually, I didn't realize that Cascadia started in 2012, which is the same year as JSLA. So they both share a, a oh. birth year, which is pretty neat. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm not I'm not surprised. Like, I feel like there was some kind of magic in the air back in kind of like 2010, 2011 that got a lot of people thinking about JavaScript as more than just the thing that validates them, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that that is right. I think JavaScript was, and I think still maybe less so today, uh, became that language that people were were forced to use for a lot of a long period of time. People mm. didn't particularly like it. They weren't really trying to uh, push its boundaries or really, I don't know, treat it as a quote unquote real language. And I think that really did start to change maybe around then or a little bit earlier. Yeah, no, totally. And I think um, you know we could we could probably wax poetic for a while, but I think that from in my in my mind, like the, there were sort of two things that that felt like they happened almost at the same time. Like um, I don't. I don't, I don't know, I couldn't quote the year that the first alpha or beta of like Node came out, but mm -hmm. you know, it was around then, right? You know, right. it was around 2010, 2011. Um, I remember, I remember the logo, the original logo was like the, the turtle with like a rocket strapped to its back <laughs> or something, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that was like, I mean, that was revolutionary, right? That's taking this, uh, this language and sort of putting it, you know, putting it on servers, you know, kind of creating a whole set of use cases for it. And then I think, I think right around the same time, you know, I think like, once again, like, I don't know exactly the year, but I feel like, you know, Angular was one of those, you know, early, um, you know, client side frameworks. Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of graduated, that was sort of graduated developers from just thinking uh, in terms of like, you know, jQuery, like thinking mm -hmm. in terms of just like little point in time, you know, manipulations of the DOM. And it really started to get developers thinking about like, no, 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 I'm building an application. Like I'm building a piece of software. Um, and I'm right. sure there are, there are other frameworks I'm forgetting, but I think right around that time, there was a flourishing of those frameworks, right? Um, so those, I think those two things were kind of like what happened. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. It's been quite a ride in the, the JavaScript world <laughs> uh, since then. So back in 2012, were you at Twilio at that time? I was. Well, actually, to I guess to give people some context, before I worked at Twilio, I worked at a small company you've never heard of called Microsoft. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and actually, it's funny. Um, I worked like I didn't, I didn't just work anywhere at Microsoft. I specifically worked on Internet Explorer, which my God, like back then, um, I mean, it's not like people love Internet Explorer now. Um, in fact, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but uh, but back then, Internet Explorer was uh, something that did not leave most developers with a taste. Of. So it was. Uh, so I, I worked. I worked at Microsoft on Internet Explorer from like 2009, 2011. And because of that job that I had, I started going to JavaScript conference. Um, mm. And and of course, you're you're familiar with JS Conf, right? Yeah, of course. Of course, right? Kind of like basically JS JS Conf is like the 
you know, the great grandfather of like so many wonderful JavaScript community events, whether they're meetups or conferences, Cascadia JS modeled uh, on JSConf. But anyway, in my capacity as a member of the IE team, I traveled to a JSConf in 2000, I think it was 2010. Um, I know where it was. It was in Portland, Oregon. And it was just like, it was by, it was at that point in time, the, the, the best conference and the most human conference, technical conference I'd ever been to. Like prior to that event, I had been to like really gross, like enterprise, you know, software conferences, like yeah. some kind of like Oracle conference or like whatever, like really, really dreadful places with lots of salespeople and ties and bad, very dehumanizing um, sort of uh, places. And JSConf was like sort of the antithesis of all these things. So, so yeah, so I actually got exposed to JSConf uh, when I was still working at Microsoft and it was, and I think, I almost think subconsciously, I thought to myself, we need something like this, but in the Pacific Northwest, right? Because mm -hmm. JSConf is a, it's like a US, it's like a national JavaScript event. And they sort of, they Almost rotate. even global. I, yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, for sure. No, you're right. It, it draws people from all over the world. They've also been incredibly generous though, um, in terms of helping to bootstrap other branded JS comps in other parts of the world, right? So right. you have JS comp EU, um, you know, you've got JS comp uh, Columbia, like there are so many JS comps um, that help uh, that, that are scattered all over the world, right? So the 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 proper JS comp um, takes place within the physical sort of, you know, United States, um, but they move around. And I, I live in, I guess I didn't say earlier, um, so I live in Seattle, right? Um, and I've, I've lived here since 2009. And I, me and a bunch of my you know, friends and fellow web developers, like we just sort of felt like, hey, we, we want something exactly like this, but we want it here in the Pacific Northwest, like all the time. Um, so that was the, that was the genesis of Cascadia JS. And then I, I went to go work at this, uh, you know, at the time, a very small company called Twilio in 2012. And it just, it, in, I was, um, the job that I had was developer evangelism, which is a very outbound and community oriented role. And when I told them that there was this thing I wanted to do, they were incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just lucky enough to be working at a company that was supportive of this um, community event that I wanted. Were you doing uh, evangelism at Microsoft or did you have a different role there? No, at Microsoft, I was, um, I was effectively a product marketing manager, um, which is sort of, it's, it's a marketing role. Um, uh, but in, in my case, um, my background is that of a software engineer. I graduated from college with a computer science degree and I was a software engineer for the, you know, for the bulk of my life my career um, until I went to business school. And then after business school, I got the job at Microsoft. So I, I moved, I moved into this marketing role, but uh, with a with a very technical angle. And so the the audience, the kind of user that I was concerned with was developers. So at the time, um, like IE8 was this sort of well, IE6, 7 and 8 were like this, this dreadful sort of like, you know, bundle of browsers that were incredibly uh, dated and were not at the time, we're not supporting any of the new web platform capabilities that browsers like Firefox and Chrome were, were supporting. And this was holding the web back, right? Um, and it was preventing what web developers from building really awesome things because they would have to consider, oh God, what if an IE user, you know, visit, visits my website, what, what will I do? So I actually, I got, I joined the team at a really awesome time because they were working on the early, early developer previews of Internet Explorer 9. And Internet Explorer 9 was going to be like the first new 
major version of Internet Explorer in like five or six years. And it was going to support like all of these new web platform technologies. These, they're not, they're not novel now, but at the time, you know, HTML5 audio, video, canvas, just like a slew of things um, that was going to bring IE back into the mainstream. Uh, and my whole job was to sort of like help developers reconsider like Internet Explorer, right? As a, as a, as a platform to target for their applications, but also like a browser to use as they're developing. So like I spent a lot of time working with the team on improving the dev things like that. So it was, it was a really cool role. I mean, it was, uh, and quite frankly, like, I think the most gratifying part of the job was that I would go to these conferences, I'd go to JSConf and I would meet developers and we would talk for a while. And then eventually they would ask me where I work. And I'd say like, oh, I work on the IE team. And they would almost always say something along the lines of like, oh, you're, wow, I'm, I can't believe you work on the IE team. You seem like a really cool guy. Um, <laughs> and no, but I was proud of that, right? I was, um, because like, I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, when you work on a product that has a lot of baggage and, um, and, 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 and yeah, well, but yeah, you have to be self-aware, but you also, it's like, it's like, you know, from on the outside, you don't even realize like how many, how many new people had joined the team. Right. And like all of these all these efforts that were being made internally to sort of fix the product, right? So like I was I was happy to kind of be an ambassador of like a new team of a new a new team of engineers building like a new product um, to help sort of right the past wrong. So I, I really I really liked it and relished it. Um, and uh, but yeah, that was a that was a very very interesting kind of time in my life. Gotcha. Yeah. And then so and then you went into evangelism, which right. seems like there's a little bit of overlap. Did you know a lot of other uh, software developers that had a similar path where they started much more straight software engineering and then went more DevRel evangelism? Stuff? Yeah, I mean, David, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, for, I mean, I know this is, it's a little different, right? So back in 2012, developer evangelism was like, as far from mainstream as you'd think, right? Like most mm -hmm. people, like they're like the raw the raw number of people in the world that had that job title was probably not even triple digit. Mm -hmm. um, the most people didn't know what it was, um, and like most companies didn't even sort of employ that and have that kind of. Right. It was sort of a it was a net new role slash capability. Um, so at that time at Twilio and on my team. I would say that 100% of the people on our team were former software engineers because there just wasn't, it wasn't like you couldn't just put a job posting out there and like hire someone who had done it before because it, it wasn't being done, right? Um, now, that being said, as the company matured um, and like, you know, and with the team grew, and, you know, we went from four evangelists to 14 to 40, um, you did get to a point where like you could hire people that had been evangelists somewhere else. But I'll tell you that honestly, like, for as long as I was there, um, Twilio always um, prioritized hiring people um, from uh, from like technical and roles directly. Yeah, I remember. I think a long time ago we were talking. Uh, you really liked the the role, and I think at that point you were you know talking to me, you know, trying to see if I was uh, <laughs> interested in it. Is it still a role that you that you think that that you know, a lot of software engineers should consider that may not be. I mean, I think the short answer is yes, um, but it's complicated, right? Like I, I can, I can speak for myself, right? Like I, like I said, like, you know, I've been, I've been tinkering with code forever. I think the first program I ever wrote was TI-85 you know, back in like the mid 90s. Um, so, I, you know, and 
there's some privilege that comes in that, you know, like I grew up in an environment where, you know, you know, my family could afford like a really powerful graphing calculator. And later in life, you know, we had a PC in our home that I was able to play around. So I, I had early exposure, um, but I loved it. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I, I ended up quitting software engineering to go get a master's in business. And you might, you know, it's fair to ask, like, why would you do that? Right. I mean, you know, why not just get better and better at being a programmer? Um, and so for me, um, I felt that I wasn't completely and totally satisfied, like just writing code or just mm. sort of, you know, getting through the next sprint or, you know, engineering a product. Like for me, there were other things I wanted out of a role and out of a job. And I was sort of hunting, I was, I was hunting for it, right? Um, you know, so I went to, I got my MBA and then I went to work at Microsoft in a, in mostly a marketing capacity. And the re, and I, and I, the truth is like, I left, I left after roughly three years, maybe even like less than three years. And the reason I left was that it wasn't technical enough. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it, and, and because it wasn't technical enough, I was, I was, I was sort of dissatisfied. Um, uh, I was dissatisfied, right? Like, so my earlier jobs, I was an engineer, but you know, it was too technical. In this marketing role, it was you know not technical enough for me. Evangelism um, at that point in time in my life, it was perfect, right? Um, I it was highly technical, right? I mean, we spent um, me and the team like we would spend like massive amounts of time with the engineering team and with the product team, understanding Twilio's APIs, understanding how to use them, how to how to the use cases, how to had a had a build against them, right? Like it was it was very very technical. It felt like yeah, very I remember much you were building building a lot of things. Sure, tons of code. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. you know, tons of code. Like you know, every I mean, everything from like everything from you know just sort of uh, you know uh, you know sample applications. You know, like uh, hello, you know, kind of hello world. Like send your first SMS. Um, you know, but all the way down to like actual um, libraries, right? Like I mm -hmm. like I I shipped one of the first uh, Node.js. Uh, NPM packages for Twilio. Um, that wasn't something that someone in the on the engineering team built, right? That was something that I built um, yeah. because I I felt that the Node community, the community that was uh, growing, was uh, a community that you know that basically was telling me, hey, like I'd love to try Twilio, but you don't have an NPM package, right? So yeah. you know, as an evangelist um, or as someone who's in DevRel, you know, you you are this sort of interface. Um, between like this internal engineering team at a company and then the outside world of developers that are interested um, in checking out like that company or that piece product. So you're mm -hmm. constantly talking to actual humans, right? You're talking to people, you're hearing from them, you're hearing what they like about the product, you're what they don't like about the product. Um, and when you're on a good DevRel team, like you're very empowered, you're empowered to either you know, solve those problems yourself um, or you're empowered to kind of go back to the product team and kind of uh, work with them those problems solved. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was just, it was fantastic. It was, uh, I was, I was at Twilio for five and a half years um, and three of those years. Um, yeah, I think it's one, one thing that I've noticed is it seems like when you look out at the internet, strange thing to say, but some of the, you know, more senior voices or, or a lot of the people putting out really good technical content who I think are seen as senior uh, often are in like those dev rel roles or move into those uh dev rel roles which is interesting um like do you like is that something that you've noticed at let's say running cascadia that that a lot of the people that you, um you know you try and get for talks or who mm. approach you with interesting talks are in those positions yeah i mean for sure i mean if you if you are in a dev rel role 
um, you know, part of your part of your job is speaking at conference. Um, but it's a but it's a virtuous cycle. It's like part of you know part of your job is kind of getting out there and sort of you know um, you know being recognized as uh, as sort of like you know a real credible voice uh, in, a, in a certain a lot of evangelists um, you know are kind of they're sort of specialists, right? They just um, there's certain look, nooks and crannies uh, of the of this world of engineering that they um, that they get really really good at, right? Um, and there is a time in your career, uh, especially in the very early days when, you know, you don't really have much of, um, much of a brand, right? People don't really know who you are. So you need to be much more proactive about getting those speaking slots, like those conferences, um, Cascadia runs, uh, um, we're very proud, um, to run an open CFP. So anybody can, um, can submit a proposal to speak at Cascadia JS. Um, and we always you know, have submissions from a lot of these up and coming DevRel folks. Uh, but it's a virtuous cycle, right? Like once you start speaking at these events um, and assuming, of course, that like you are good, assuming that you understand how to give, give a good talk, understand how to sort of craft a narrative and tell a story that is super compelling. Like, you know, next thing you know, the you know, the, 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 the seesaw flips and, you know, three or four years down the road, you, you no longer have to be proactive because people like me are reaching out to you to come speak. Um, so it's sort of, you know, it's, there's, it's, it, there's always, there's always a little bit of, um, you know, pushing that happens in the beginning as you establish yourself and you establish your voice. Um, but, uh, but if you're, you know, if you're a voice that you know, people really respond to and is really compelling, eventually we'll seek you. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like those are, are skills that can be developed for some people. So, you know, they're, they're enjoyable. Do you think that those, those storytelling, narrative crafting, like talk giving skills are useful for engineers who, who aren't particularly interested in, in a DevRel role? Oh yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I want to. I want so the answer to that question is like an emphatic yes. But I want to. It's kind of funny. Like I, we, <laughs> David, we don't. We, we didn't do any prep for this uh, podcast at all. But I feel like you're just reading my mind, right? <laughs> so so uh, I want. I want to address the fact that there are a lot of engineers that are listening to this that are thinking to themselves, "Hey, like I'm just not good at public, or I, or you know, or I don't have people skills, or you know, really, or like maybe they'll say something like, "Look, I'm an intro, you know, like I don't think I would enjoy Devra." Um, I want to be ultra clear that there were, I think the majority of people on our DevRel team at Twilio were self, self-described self mm-hmm. um, and n- not a single one of them uh, when they joined the team um, would have sort of, uh, we would have sort of qualified as being like a, a great, um, every single one of, every single thing that you do, um, it's 95% of what you do in a DevRel role, it's uh, it's just stuff you can it's stuff that literally anybody can. Um, there's a, there's just this mythology that like you know a, being a really good speaker is a it's like some kind of innate skill right that you either have or you don't and that's just not true. Um, literally anybody with with effort and you know with persistence can learn to deliver like a really awesome talk that people out. Um, it's just it's just something. I mean it's something that we got really good at Twilio um, at sort of working um, as a team. Right. Like we didn't we didn't have a, a formula or a blueprint in the early days, but we were kind of relentless about about getting better as a team um, and, and as individuals over time. And we eventually like learned a lot of tricks and tips um, and of like how to help deliver awesome talks, like how to write a good blog post. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like how to write a, how to write the kind of blog post that people 
proactively share on Twitter or hackers or Reddit. Like these are, this is something you can learn how to do. It is not magic. It's not innate. You just have to have a willingness to do it. And, and the, and the point about being an introvert, I am an extrovert, but I think I'm a, I'm a rare case. I think a lot of DevRel people are introverts and you can be very successful, like at an event or in public being an introvert and still representing like your company, representing your product well. So I just, I want to be really clear about that because I think a lot of people self-select out of this career path for reasons that I just think are um, are, are like, are just wrong, right? And then, uh, oh, sorry. And so like that, that was the first, so I wanted to get to that part. What was the second part of your question or? I mean, is it worthwhile for, let's say, oh, yeah, yeah. no, 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 I got you. Yes. So it is worthwhile. And let me tell you why. Oh, this is awesome. So (laughs) look, uh, if you talk to, if you talk to enough developers, so working on FizzBuzz, um, so FizzBuzz is this this product I'm working on to help developers sort of get connected to better professional opportunities. Um, And it's, it's, it's in its early days, and I wouldn't even point the website. But I've, I've talked to over 100 developers about their career, things that went right and went wrong. And it's, it's remarkable. I, I don't think I've ever met a single developer who, you know, who got fired or, or like left a job or had some sort of bad experience because they couldn't sort of write the, mm-hmm. like, I, or no one admitted that, right? Mm-hmm. Almost all of the sort of hurdles or hiccups or issues were almost always sort of people oriented and communication, right? Um, a lot of the friction, miscommunication boiled down to uh, really like, you know, not, not communicating well, not, not functioning well on a team. I think a lot of the skills, when you, when you are on a DevRel team, there's a bunch of things that are happening. One, your primary skill set is communicate. Um, uh, your secondary skill sets are your ability technical. A, a second important point, when you're on a DevRel team, you're on a team. You are only going to go as far as te- you know, your team, the rest of your team will sort of help you. Mm-hmm. So those are important skills uh, that you learn. And those just happen to map, I think, very cleanly to the kind of software engineers that I observe as being very, very sick. People who operate and function well on a team, people who are incredibly clear in their communication, not just with their fellow engineers, but like with their product manager or with other stakeholders. At the- um, those are the software engineers that you sort of see on that glide path Right. And I just think that I think being uh, in DevRel like gives you a sharpening. So if you're so if you're not in DevRel, I imagine there's still ways of sharpening those skills, like giving talks, blog, yeah. things like that. And so the idea is that those would also, in your view, translate into effectively a better career, a less rocky career, because ultimately things like communication and I don't know, in some ways, like how you sell yourself really, mm-hmm. really matter. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, it, I, I don't, it's definitely not the case that like, you know, you, you're kind of screwed unless like you, you get a, <laughs> you get a DevRel gig, right? But it's, it's, but it's, it's harder, right? Like, you know, it's like, you, you have to, it's almost like, it's almost like you almost have to construct your own sort of like David Gutman LLC, like DevRel, you know, corporation, mm-hmm. like you have to, you do, you have to think of yourself as the product, right? Like, and so instead of like, you know, you're representing Twilio's APIs. It's like, no, 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 you're representing David Gutman. And so you have to be incredibly thoughtful about like, okay, well, I think I'm good at writing. Like, how do I prove it, right? You have to hold yourself accountable, right? Like you have to decide that you're going to start blogging. You have to be thoughtful about what technical topics or non-technical topics you're going to blog about. You're going to have to be rigorous about actually caring 
about whether people are reading what you wrote or, you know, are, are sharing it or, you know, you know, those kinds of KPIs mm-hmm. and metrics that help you help you get better. Right. I think right. in, in Devrel, because it's a job, you're not just doing stuff and then like walking away. Right. Like you are doing mm-hmm. things because they are tactically, you know, useful for certain outcomes that you are committed to achieve, right? And I think, and I, and I think, as someone who cares about managing and accelerating their career, like you have to be equally thoughtful, be equally thoughtful about like, okay, cool, what is what is the outcome that I'm trying to drive? You know, am I trying to get an invitation to speak at a conference? Am I trying to increase the number of, you know, in, inbound recruiting sort of emails that I get? Like you have to, you have to create a framework where you understand what you're trying to accomplish in the next six months or 12 months. And then you can be intelligent about like, okay, cool. Like I know what my goals are. Like, what am I going to do over the next six months to sort of achieve that goal? And I think like, if you're, you know, if you're not on a team or you're not doing it for work, like no one is sort of feeding you the goals, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to construct them yourself and yourself. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I feel like there really is this connection between being senior and a lot of those skills that we're talking about and a lot of those practices like giving talks and blog posts and writing tutorials, and being active in the community and helping people and, and a lot of that. I think I think there really is a, a, a very strong connection to being senior because when I think of a senior developer, I really do think of it as much more outward focused. It's a lot less, oh, that engineer is just going to go off and sit in his cave for a while and then he's going to come back with something great. Now, look, there are totally amazing, brilliant software engineers who do stuff like that. And I think the world is a lot better for them. But I think a lot of the time there are these teams, you know, sort of what you were saying about how a lot of the friction or a lot of these jobs end poorly, not because of a lack of technical skill, but because of lack of of either integration with the team, lack of communication, interpersonal issues. Something that I've covered on this show is the mismatch of values that can be really mm. a huge problem, especially for whatever reason that also tends to be one that that winds up being invisible is that people don't realize that they have uh, conflicting values. And then it, it sort of like you see these symptoms or you see these surface issues, but that's like the real underlying like, cause. And so mm-hmm. when I think of a senior engineer, it's it's more of this ability to communicate to the team, like here is the real problem that we're trying to solve, or here is the real opportunity that we're trying to solve. And this this is, or these are the strategies that we can employ to get it. Here are the particular tactics that follow that strategy. And here is how we can all contribute to that goal and get everybody in line, aligned and, and have less mm-hmm. of the friction. And in some of that way, a lot of that is, a lot of that's leadership, right? You are senior mm-hmm. because you are demonstrating leadership. And that that leadership is really... One, it's it's something that you brought up. It's that that clarity of thought, the clarity of communication. What is in my head, my vision that I see and that I want to make reality, I can through my voice, my words, illustrations, any anything like that at my disposal, like a, a talk, a presentation, any of that, I can get my vision in my head the way that it looks like and sounds like and and that clarity through the presentation, through the writing into your head so that you see it the same way. And that is a very difficult thing for a lot of engineers 
to do. I think it's a very difficult thing for for most people. And something that I've noticed is is I think a lot of people listening to the show probably hear about the the importance of communication. Communication is really important. But unlike let's say being able to build something using GraphQL and TypeScript, there is much less of a like it it feels much less real much less clear about what that next step is okay what do i do to improve my communication and i think a lot of these devrel skills the the speaking the writing that is actually that practice of it was sort of what you were saying about is this working like you don't just put something out and then ignore it you you see if it's resonating and that's that feedback loop is how you know that you're getting better at communication. If if you write a blog post and people are sharing it, that's a clue that you did something right. If you know no one's sharing it or no one cares, that's not necessarily true, but it might be that that it's not clear. It's not communicating what you what you think is. And so building up those skills, I think, really helps you then become in a position on your team to become a leader and then be seen as as senior. Yeah, and like you just made me think of something that was so important when we worked at Twilio. So when we interviewed people for the DevRel team at Twilio, there was there was basically a single thing that we tested for that if we like could not sort of perceive it or identify it, like it was a hard pass. And and, that, and there was only one. Um, everything else, like we would we'd make exception, you know, sort of evaluate with more context. But um, but the thing that we looked for was empathy, and you know, we had ways of uh, sort of testing for a candidate's ability, you know, to sort of, you know, have them. Uh, and if, and, you know, and, and that was just, that was, that was just the one, cause that was the one thing where like, we, we didn't feel like a team, like we, like you can, de- people can develop empathy. Okay. Um, it's, it, 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 it's its own kind of skill, but mm-hmm. in terms of uh, a team trying to fill a role, like we didn't feel like we were in a position to like help a new hire, like mm-hmm. develop empathy, like into, in time in, to be effective. So much of being in De- DevRel is about having empathy. So much about being successful as an engineer is about having, right? Like all the, when you talk, when you sort of articulated this, you know, idealized, you know, senior engineer, um, you're a lot of what I heard like under the surface was basically an adult um, who had just developed a tremendous amount of empathy for the customers who use the product, the stakeholders in the company. And because of the empathy that this person had, was able and willing to kind of connect the dots and help rally his or her engineering team to like help meet these needs, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't do that effectively if you don't care, if you don't have empathy. So, okay. So if there's someone out there who's like, gee, like, wow, like, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough empathy. Like, I don't know if I'm good at empathy, right? The good news is like, you can develop empathy, right? And I, I think, frankly, like the best possible way to begin your journey developing empathy is to think about how can you be of service to the developer, right? And there's so, I mean, and like, look, like writing a blog post, it isn't just a, a, an exercise in clear communication or mastery of a technical concept. Like, hope, I mean, hopefully you're writing a blog post because there's some sort of gnarly problem that you just observe people having over and over and over again. And you believe in your heart that your blog post is going to demystify or illuminate this concept and you're going to help, right? right? So it's coming, like the why of writing the blog post is coming from this deep place of empathy. So yeah, I mean, as a junior developer, like if you want to start developing empathy, like start, vo- like, vo- you know, start volunteering at a meetup, you know, 
maybe even create them, right? Like you can either, you know, find a way to be of service to some kind of community that you care about, right? Whether it's, it doesn't even matter. It could be a, you know, a WebRTC community or, uh, you know, uh, Black Girls Who Code, right? There's so many different kinds of communities and developer communities that are out there. Like find one that resonates with you and find out how you can help, like how you can be of service. And it could be, it could be anything. It could be helping them stand up their website, you know, writing, writing tutorials, you know, uh, working on issues. Um, I, I promise you, like if you, if you do this, right, if you effectively become a volunteer and you start to sort of care and think about, you know, being of service to other people, um, that is a fantastic step developing. Um, and, uh, and that skill, that ability to sort of walk a mile in someone else's shoes and sort of see things from another person's perspective, it will, it will be this sort super integral component, um, on your journey and scene. Um, cause I just, I've never, I've never met in my life. I swear you, you hear about these, like <laughs> these, like, sorry, like these a-hole CEOs mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I know that they're real. But in my personal professional career, I've just never met a successful leader that, you know, that didn't have him and didn't really seem. I encountered occasional sort of like edge case jerk people. But if you really kind of paid attention and you kind of watched them and kept tabs on them, like they would flame out. But the people that were durable and the people that, you know, that I would, you know, reach out to 10 years after the fact were like these. kind. Yeah, I think that that sustainable leadership, I think that a huge part of that is that you are able you are able to make people's lives better like you are able to through empathy like hear the trouble that people are going through and do what you can to to help and and honestly i think that that is really important just in the the more business career sense too a lot of what i what i try and and talk about on this show is when you're in an interview the the person interviewing you is certainly looking at your technical skills and trying to make sure that you can do the job but at the end of the day they are hiring you if and only if you can help them like they they want to make sure that you are able to understand various problems that the team is having and then work to to fix them or make them better and i think great practice for that is exactly what you just said with the volunteering in any kind of organization and then really keeping your eyes and ears open for opportunity to make people in the community's lives better like oh here's this problem that they're having i'm going to i'm going to go through it myself and figure out all those sticking points all the parts that are painful and then write up a tutorial or build something so that you know a tool so that all that nastiness can be can be skipped. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think that the idea that to be a good engineer, you need empathy might be a little bit of a, a surprise to, to many people listening, but I, I could not agree with it more. Yeah, I just, I think it's, um, you know, it's funny, like, you just, you get, you get so caught up in uh, you know, syntax, you know, why isn't this <laughs> compiling or whatever? It's like, you just got to remember, like, software is written, like, by people for people, like, mm-hmm. full stop, right? Like, that's, there's no other reason that any of us are doing this. Um, and when you sort of have that, when you sort of take that like 20,000 foot view, it's like, oh yeah, shit, you're right. You know, it's like, well then yeah, I mean, 
for what, when, when I, when I think, when I realize that it, it, it then becomes actually like obvious to me, like, well, of course, you know, of course you can't be good at doing that, you know, without like understanding people are caring. About. I mean, like, you know, there's the, 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 the trope that you described of like, you know, the, the person in the basement who cares about no one just like writes, you know, writes like device drivers. Yeah, no, I know. I know those people are real, but, um, you know, it, the world has changed. Right. I mean, this is, um, you know, look, when I was, uh, you know, when I was like born in like, you know, 1977, you know, like computer engineering was a freakishly like niche career, right? Yeah. And may- maybe there were like, you know, tens of thousands of engineers like globally, maybe less. I don't even know. And then, you know, they, and they worked at like NASA, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, the world has changed. There are, I don't even know what the current estimates are. There, ha- there have to be more than like 10 million people who self-identify as developers, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just like, you know, it's, and the and and the things that people build are no longer you know touched and used by you know dozens or hundreds of people operating you know terminals at banks like they're used by like literally million or billion so yeah i just think that um it's i think these days like in, in this current era that we live in you know the like the vast majority of successful software engineers are are, are people who kind of care about building things and solving problems for like other and i think those yeah. other people that we talk about or you see in the movies like they're there's so there's such a, there's such incredible edge cases as to be as to not be worth considering, especially when you're trying to give someone advice right. on how to kind of um, on how to be successful. Yeah. So this might be a little bit of a of a of a turn from our conversation, but I did want to go back to FizzBuzz, and and so I know that it you know you still consider it kind of early, but you have sure. had a ton of conversations, you've done a lot of research, and I do want you to talk a little bit about what it is, and 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 if you can. I'm a little bit curious if you can talk about like what led you to create it. Like if there was some problem with how you saw developers present themselves or, yeah. you know, approach the, you know, the job process. Oh yeah. I mean, like for sure. Like, look, I can talk about FizzBuzz all day and like, and frankly, and like, I don't, I kind of care less about the product, which is still sort of in its, you know, earliest stages, but I, you know, but I, I care deeply about the pro- like the problems, right. That people are facing. Um, and to me, like as someone who organizes, a de- so, you know, maybe people don't know, right? Like, like s- developer conferences, right? Like how do they make money? You know, how does, you know, how does, how does it work? Like, well, you sell tickets, right? Everybody knows you sell tickets, but what you might not have a ton of visibility into, um, you also have companies that sponsor your conference, right? And I remember in the earliest days of Cascadia JS, there was sort of this fascination in this, in this question of like, geez, like how much, how, you know, how much of your revenue should be ticket sales, how much should be sponsors. And it was kind of like, it was unclear what the answers were. And I remember the very first year we did Cascade JS, I think it was like, I think 50% of the revenue came from sponsors, which was awesome. And the way that me and my fellow organizers thought about that, we just thought like, oh, great. Like we have these companies subsidizing like the event for everybody else. Right. So mm-hmm. because of the sponsors, we were able to charge half as much for tickets as we would have normally had to charge right so that was sort of like our you know the way that we thought about sponsorship well if you take sponsors you can kind of subdivide them into two groups there are sponsors that are there to market something and then there are sponsors that are there to hire the marketing stuff is easy it's like companies like twilio or aws uh, aws or like right any any kind of uh, you know company that has a, a platform or tool or an api that they want a developer to use that's marketing and then, but then you got hiring. You have companies like whatever, every, like basically every possible company you can think of, you know, Google, Facebook, like whoever's trying to hire, those companies would would spend thousands of dollars for the privilege of setting up a, like a six foot by three foot table, like at your conference. And, and, then, and then how would that work, right? So the company would set up this table and they'd sit there 
and they'd have a bunch of stuff on the table. They'd have like squishy balls or t-shirts or like God knows what. And it was like a honeypot, right? They would sort of just, they would just sit there and totally random people would wander by, grab a squishy ball, and then maybe engage in a couple minutes of conversation. And then maybe, you know, take a paper application or maybe, you know, take a business card or something, right? Like that was the business model for recruiting at a technical conference like Cascade.js. And I watched this in absolute awe, right? I was just like, I was like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, I can't believe, you know, I, I can't believe that this is, I can't believe this is what people do, right? But, you know, I was, um, I didn't invent conferences, right? I was just someone putting on yet another conference. And this, this was accepted. This was the standard operating procedures. In fact, re recruiters would get upset if you tried to do something different, right? right. Um, because yeah. they just weren't used to it. So, uh, sorry, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I feel like ultimately the outcomes were pretty suboptimal for companies trying to hire, right? Because they, they weren't making it clear like why anyone should work, should work at their company. Like you would, I mean, you would have to really spend like 15 or minutes or 30 minutes as a developer talking to somebody, kind of getting basic questions answered, you know, like, well, what's mm -hmm. the role and where is it located? And are you remote friendly? And like, are, you know, do you have an, an open floor plan? Like whatever, right? Like it was just, yeah. it felt very suboptimal for, from the company's perspective. And I know for a fact it was suboptimal from the uh, attendee's perspective because Another thing that just shocked me in the early days of organizing Cascadia, I'm so, I was so naive. I thought like, oh yeah, people buy tickets to like listen to talks, and mm -hmm. you know, it's just like so. I you know, we in the early days we put like all of our energy into like getting the best speakers we could and putting on the best talks that we could. And I just learned over time that that was not quite the truth. It, like yeah, sure, like people wanted to listen to talks, but people, I'd say if if I, if I were to do a survey or a poll, the number one reason that developers went to conferences was for sort of like professional networking purposes to, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily to get enough, not necessarily to like interview at companies, but to sort of, you know, build their network, right? Expand their network, meet new people. Um, uh, and, you know, perhaps like talk to some companies that are hiring. Right? And that was something I learned over time. So, the, but the experience for them was super suboptimal too. Like they might not know which companies uh, were there for hiring purposes. Uh, they, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be able to understand any of what these companies offer were offering or whether it sort of matched what they were looking for without spending 30 minutes, 60 minutes like, talking to what was often like a, a non-technical recruiter at these events. Right. So, sorry. So I'm painting this picture of like how it's like suboptimal from the perspective of companies that are hiring and suboptimal from the perspective of like developers that are, that are like either actively looking for a job or just sort of, so that, that's all FizzBuzz is. Like FizzBuzz is trying to solve that problem um, by eliminating the, you know, the physical like presence, eliminate, eliminating the venue, eliminating the conference, right? Like let's start from the perspective of the hiring company, right? Like how can you improve upon, you know, a ridiculous like six foot by three foot, you know, <laughs> how can you improve upon what most people generally consider to be like really terribly written job recs? right? Mm -hmm. You know, those bullet points with a bunch of fake requirements mm -hmm. must have 25 years of blockchain, right? Like yeah. there, there are all these things that companies do that just because of inertia and all these really bizarre reasons that put them in a disadvantageous position in terms of getting connected to great people. Right? And then the same thing with developers, right? Like I, I just, after talking to a lot of developers, you know, ones that, especially ones that have that came to Cascadia, like hoping to, you know, find a new job or make a career switch, I would talk to them 
and I would have them show me, you know, their resumes or show me anything mm -hmm. and like their homepage or something, anything, right. I'd just be like, yeah. look, look, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, you know, the, if I'm Santa Claus and I have job, I have a job, <laughs> I, if I have the perfect job for you, what is the, what is the single URL? If I, if I, if I constrained you to like, you have to give me one URL and that's it. And it can be a URL to a PDF document. Like, I don't care what yep. it's a URL to, but what is it? I would ask these people would give me URLs and they just, they were all really, really suboptimal, right? They were just mm -hmm. like a, you know, a PDF, a URL to a PDF, but the PDFs sucked, right? We can yep. go into what that means, right? But like, it wasn't good. Or, you know, some personal homepage that, that also wasn't good. Or, you know, their LinkedIn profile or God forbid their GitHub profile. Yeah, that's and, what I was waiting for. Well, but here's the thing is like, the, the, the insight for me is like, I totally, you know, I, I had like this light bulb moment where I kind of realized, I'm like, oh my God, it's as if these people are, excellent engineers, but are terrible marketers, right? Because that's surprising. what it is. Well, yeah, exactly. But it's not surprising, right? You're just like, right. of, co of course, their personal webpage is terrible. Like, of course, this resume look is terrible, right? You know? And by the way, I want to be super clear with your audience about what I mean by terrible. Like, I don't mean it like looked terrible, or it was like, you know, they used a bad, they used the wrong font, or you know, the design of the webpage wasn't beautiful. That's not what I mean. Like what I mean is the document that you're trying to construct is basically like a marketing brochure for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, this is the document you want someone to read that screams, hire me, right? And your intended audience is a hiring manager. So you have to, this is where like empathy kind of comes back in. Right? You have yeah. to, you have to imagine what is this super overworked, very, very busy engineering manager, what are they looking for in this document, right? What are they, what, what questions do they need answers to in order to decide whether to schedule a phone screen with you or not? That is what your document should be, right? That document should succeed in converting that engineering manager into somebody that wants to schedule a phone screen. And just, and most of the time, like these documents didn't do that, right? They were like right. comma delimited lists of like random technology, Java, comma, sequel, comma, like whatever, right? I mean, like, I, yeah, I say, you know, I blame recruiters for that, for that phenomenon, but well, yeah. yeah. Well, the, but the, the, the funny thing is though, it's like the blame is irrelevant, right? Like blame, <laughs> right. it's like, it doesn't, like for the junior dev that's trying to get the job, like it doesn't matter whose fault it is, right? Like right. it's, they're, 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 they're accidentally constructing a document that is like, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's, and look, the, the reasons that it's failing are complicated. And frankly, the, that is the intellectual like area that I'm exploring with FizzBuzz, right? Like what would a better document look like, you know? And so I think I, I, we have some ideas, right? We have some ideas about like, okay, well, you know, you know, JavaScript, like tell me more, right? Like instead of saying that you just know JavaScript, like maybe you could, maybe there's metadata about that that would be really useful for you. Like, have you ever, you know, have you used it like in a side project or like, have you deployed it to production? You know, like th there are, there are certain checkpoints, you know, that have you, you could- Have you worked on a SaaS? Have you worked on a consumer app? Or... Absolutely, right? Like, you know, there's, there's context that really helps me evaluate what that means that, you know, you have reacted. Um, you know, think about, think, think about um, like sort of like social proof right? Like there's nothing on a resume or, you know, or oh, on wow. your git. Yeah. And it's nothing, right? but it's absurd, right? Like, I mean, you know, think of, you know, if you work with anybody, if you work with anyone on a side project or on an open source project or, or like, look, just a, a project at your boot camp, right? If there are humans 
that either supervised you or that you worked with, what is the best way to like highlight that social proof on this document? Like that's mm-hmm. an area that, you know, that we want to explore, right? You know, what about, what about, um, what about things that help signal whether you'd be a good fit or not, right? Like what kind of, maybe you, maybe there are certain uh, work, you know, sort of values or certain preferences that you have about where you'd want to work, right? Like maybe you want to work at a, you only want to work at a company that is pursuing social, right? Maybe you don't want to work at a company that has an open floor plan, right? Yeah. Or, you know, how things get done, like, you know, move, move fast and break things company may not be the one for you. Exactly. Right. I mean, like uh, a resume, I hate the word, by the way, like, I don't, I'm not trying to make a better resume. I'm trying to try invent a new word for this, but like this document, like it shouldn't just about, it shouldn't be about like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, failing fast is okay, right? Like, you know, creating a document that spares you from wasting your time on a 30 minute phone screen with a company that would have been a terrible fit. Like that is a valuable document, right? Um, Screening people out is just as valuable as screening people in because your time, not only is your time valuable, but like your, your emotional health is valuable, right? Like it is incredibly stressful and, um, and, you know, just, and, and, and sometimes painful going through these screens. So anything that can help you avoid a screen that is inevitably going to end badly, I think. Is- I think that is such an important point. And, and I see yeah. this come up a lot. So I'm talking, you know, I talk to a lot of yeah. developers, a lot of junior developers. And, and I think right now, maybe more than even before, but I feel like this is always persistent. Like when you're looking for a job and you don't have one or you're an aspiring developer and you haven't had a tech job, I think there's a real temptation to just think that, no, I just, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like any job, like I just need one. So I want to talk to all of these companies, but that, that lack of, I don't know, commitment to a particular, you know, value set or types of problems that you actually want to work on, you know, you may think that that is, that's opening up the options. And that means that there's going to be more companies that you can talk to. But the problem is you're going to look less attractive to the companies that you really want to work for because you're not going to appear special. And so it has this twofold issue where one, the companies that you would be a great fit for aren't going to be as attractive to you. And then two, you're going to wind up wasting your time or God forbid, like really getting involved with a company that you're going to be miserable with and it's going to be painful to unwind and you could have saved a lot of that headache. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I, I empathize with people, especially like who are trying to get their first job. But yeah, it's, I think I, I think of recruiting. I think of most classic recruiting as just like direct. It's like you open up your mailbox and there's all this like horrible garbage, right? And I, you know, every day I open up my, you know, and I'm like, someone's trying to hire me for like a Ruby on Rails job and I haven't Rails in a decade. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's direct mail. But, 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 you know, it's not just recruiters, you know, there are people who think, and by the way, there are, there are, there are junior developers who are told and who are encouraged to like apply to as many jobs as humanly possible. Mm-hmm, Cause it's yeah. like, they're told it's like some kind of, it's like, oh, it's a numbers game, you know? Yeah. And like, and I just, I understand, like, I understand why they do it. I understand why some, some people think that's good advice. I think it's ultimately self-defeating. I think that when you, that, that's like, you know, it's like some kind of, I think you, a lot of finding the right job, there are similarities to finding the right partner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's the same thing. Like if you just date everybody that you can possibly date and hope that, you know, the, the raw <laughs> numbers sort of work out. Like, I think you just, you'll find out, you'll find out through trial and error that's wrong. Right. Basically mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, a certain amount of self discovery and self-awareness all people need to go through 
in order to understand who they are, what they care about, what they're good at, what they want to get better at. And there are no shortcuts for that. Yeah. But if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to go through that, and, you, and if people are willing to help you, that kind of self-knowledge can help you, you know, uh, optimize uh, the places that you apply to. And I just believe in my heart that, and not just my heart, uh, I, I, think the, <laughs> I think the data and the conversations I've had, like, bear this out. Like, yeah. that kind of thoughtful approach, like, it yields better results than the spray and pray. It just does. Because you know who you are, you know what you can do. It 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 gives you self confidence. It helps you, like you know, filter out things um, that aren't going to work out, right? But when you're when you're in an interview, like trust me, the, the person who's interviewing you is desperate for you to say something about hmm. wh why they should hire you or like what you care about. And if you don't have answers for that person, like it's just you're not you're not giving them any, right? You're just yeah. this like blank slate, like lottery ticket. And I think. Um, and I, that's just, I don't, I don't think that's the, the best strategy to move. Totally. So real quick before we wrap up. So sure. FizzBuzz, yeah. So how, like, how does this, or what, like in a perfect world, like how, sure. yeah, how do you help engineers? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Better? So we'll get a little bit technical, um, very, very lightly. Like I'm, I'm just trying to construct a, a web application that developers can use to create really like, um, uh, like highly semantic and rich profiles. Okay. So all the things that we said about like, you know, the, the technologies that you have used, the technologies that you want to learn, um, the preferences you have, the values you have, places you've worked, um, people you've worked with, right? I want to create um, a product that uh, helps developers basically put all that information um, into a database and construct a document that an engineering manager could like glance at and basically make kind of a yes, no decision about like, oh yeah, we should, we should try to call this person. Right. So that's, um, so from a, from sort of a user perspective, like that's a, that's just sort of a web application we're working on right now. Part of the reason that it's, uh, it's taking longer than I, I would have liked is that we also, I also believe that I want all of, this is your data, right? This is not like my data. This is your data. And I want it to be available to you to use and repurpose and reuse in any way that you. So on the back end, all of this data is going to be stored in a database and all of it will be available to you um, with a very, very rich graph. Type. So you can imagine if you have your own personal website, if there are bits and pieces of information from your FizzBuzz profile that you want to highlight or use to construct this personal website, like I want to make it really easy for you to do with this graph. Type. The other reason that I mentioned sort of this idea about like semantic, um, highly semantic information is that I want to create a similar product for companies to create better jobs, right? Mm. Like realistic job postings that are detailed, that have lots of quick answers about like location, remote, that this and that, right? I want to help uh, companies create better jobs. And then the mat where the magic happens is that because this data isn't just like free form text, because it's there's like this sort of semantic understanding of like, what these what these questions and answers are i want to build a matching engine that sort of helps people who are job hunting get matched against job opportunities that effectively match their program right. so there's a matching engine that i want to build on top of the schema that we're constructing um so yeah so that's that's the idea the and the idea and unlike linkedin or whatever or like just the mm -hmm. normal the normal state of affairs where some recruiter has keyword searched and you know, discovered you and then sent some kind of, you know, spam, right? Um, in the FizzBuzz world, you are invisible uh, to companies. 
Um, and, in, and instead, you are the one that has to take action. So in this experience, you, know, you can log in to your FizzBuzz account, um, or maybe you just get an email notification from us telling you that there are certain jobs um, that match your profile. And you are never, ever informed of this unless you tell us that you're you know, actively looking or passive. And then you, and then you uh, the developer, can review these matches. You can help us get better. You can click an X and say, actually, this is a terrible match. And that can kind of help us refine our algorithm. Uh, but in the event that you're like, oh, this is super interesting, and you click yes, uh, at that point, you get connected to that company. And then from that point, um, you know, it, the, the company will take it there, right? And you'll probably, mm -hmm. they'll look at your profile and they'll say like, oh yeah, this is perfect. And then um, most likely some kind of phone screen schedule. But the important point that I want to leave people with is that it is, this entire experience is entire is initiated by the So if you're mm -hmm. not looking for a job or, you know, you're not interested, then nothing, then effectively nothing will happen. But the minute you do want to see what's out there, we want to build the best possible experience and the best possible platform for you to some, especially and in, in particular things that nice. Yeah, I think this is really important. I mean, I see this on the recruiting side, you know, through JSLA, I talk to sponsors who are looking to hire and I think they can be a lot more honest and realistic with what they're looking for, you know, the, the equivalent of a job post or a pitch. And then obviously I talk to a lot of, uh, you know, developers who are looking and I think, you know, a lot of like, like what you said, like that, that one URL, um, I think that that's definitely something a lot of developers could, could take another look at. So this is awesome. Um, so I know you say FizzBuzz is still really early, but <laughs> probably, uh, I do want to say it probably makes sense for people to to check it out. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, also maybe just think a little bit more from a more like personal sales, per personal marketing point of view. Like if the hiring manager is looking at uh, looking at your page or whatever that one URL is, like what are they thinking? And hopefully it should be, wow, I really need to hire this person because they can help me do what I need to do. Um, so Carter, this has been so great. Where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, you can just find me on Twitter, uh, CRTR0. Um, also, uh, I, I would like to mention that, um, so Cascadia JS just wrapped up, um, but we are publishing all of our talks um, for the benefit of just the broad web community at large. Um, so the easiest way to kind of just get notified about new talks as we publish them is at the Cascadia JS uh, Twitter handle was at Cascadia. Awesome. Yeah, you had like some seriously cool talks, big names, uh, you know, Swix, who was on this show. Also, I just saw I think the Kyle Simpson video just went up. Yeah, so yeah. definitely, definitely check that out. For sure. Uh, oh, but I yeah. I'll also I'll, 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 I'll sort of plug this. Um, we like I said, we have an open CFP. And, um, and we pride ourselves on creating a lineup of speakers that is like maybe, you know, I don't know, like 40% big names. Um, but 60% like people you've never heard of, right? Um, like we are, we, we pride ourselves on being the kind of event that sort of discovers people um, who have incredible stories to tell, um, who are amazing and who, you know, in three or four years, everybody will know. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being the kind of event that sort of provides a platform for new voices in our community. Um, so uh, definitely check out our, our CFP. We're definitely. Yeah. I, I completely recommend that if you want to get your your speaking skills up also really important um if you can't wait until that opens up jsla is also always looking for <laughs> speakers uh perfect carter thank you so much for joining me today of course no th thanks for having me david this is awesome
All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. And if you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniors.io. Thanks.